how we grow spiritually. And if you pull out the, the card in front of you, you'll see where we've been. We've looked at five areas of how we grow spiritually, worship, connect, serve, grow, and today we come to share. You know, if we're going to grow in anything in life, there are certain things we have to learn and do, isn't there? If you want your marriage to be good, you've got to learn about your spouse. You've got to take time to study her or him and figure out what they like, you know? I'm always amazed by Sarah. She knows everything there is to know about me practically. Now, in my defense, I'm very, very shallow, so there's not much to learn. I know very little about her, but she's complex, so I'm trying to work that out. But you know, in marriage, if you, don't, if you learn something about your spouse and you don't do anything about the things you learn, oh yeah, I know you like that, but I just didn't want to do that. That's probably not a good idea, right? So we have to learn and do things. If you want to be good at parenting, there's things you have to learn and do. You have to learn what your kids are like. You know, you have to study those books that or stuff on the internet and learn like, when my kid's a toddler, what does he need? And when my kid's a middle schooler and he's on the roller coaster, like my wife was talking about, about our oldest son, what does he need? And what is he wanting? What is he expecting? And then you have to do something about it. You got to learn about discipline if you want to be a good parent, right? There's things to learn and there's things to do. If you want to be growing and healthy in your spiritual life, there's things to learn and there's things to do. And those things that you need to learn about and do are worship, connecting with other Christians, serving other people, uh, uh, growing in your faith on a personal standpoint by reading the Bible and prayer, and then lastly, sharing your faith. This morning, what I want to talk to you about, though, in, in the course of this morning is about how we share our faith. And specifically, I want to look at sharing our faith, not just as something that we do so that other people can learn about Jesus, but sharing our faith as a means for us, those who are already know and follow Jesus, as a means for us to grow closer in our relationship to Jesus. There's a, a little verse in Philemon, which is a very short book of the New Testament. There's only 27 New Testament books. Philemon is the shortest. It's one chapter, and it is a short letter written by Paul to a man named, uh, a man named Philemon about a slave that he has in the name of the slave is Onesimus. In this short little letter, Paul is asking Philemon to release Onesimus from slavery so that he can partner with Onesimus in serving uh, the church and sharing the gospel. And here's what Philemon chapter 1, which is the only chapter in Philemon, verse 6 says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. I would like you to, if you do this, to highlight that verse in your Bible and memorize the reference, Philemon chapter 1, verse 6, or Philemon verse 6, because this verse is telling us that as we share our faith with other people, not only do they see Jesus, but we see Jesus in a different way. Notice what the text says. May be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Many of us have seen how faith in Christ, if we're sitting in this room, and some of you haven't, but we're really glad everybody is here no matter where you're at. But many of us in this room have already placed our faith in Jesus and have understood how Jesus changes everything. And if you're in that boat, many of you have had a hard time sharing your faith with other people, talking about Jesus with others. We are afraid to share because we have all kinds of worries that we go through, right? We worry that if we share our faith with somebody else, they'll ask us a question we don't know how to answer. Have you ever had that worry? We're worried that if we share our faith 
What if it's not the right time? What if they're not interested? What if uh, sharing my faith with this relationship person hurts our friendship or our relationship? What if they think I'm weird? I just don't worry about that because I already know I'm weird. So that's, I take that off there. Some of us think, what if they think I'm being pushy? These are all natural concerns, but they shouldn't stop us in sharing our faith. Have you noticed that so many of the things that matter least in life are the things that are easiest to talk about? Have you ever noticed this dynamic? We have these relationships with people we really care about. You see this really clearly around Christmas and Thanksgiving, which are coming very quickly. And we'll get together with the people we love most on Christmas and Thanksgiving, and we gather all of our family members together, and something in the course of like raising a family doesn't guarantee that everybody thinks and feels the same way about everything. Did you know that? (laughs) And so we get together at Christmas and Thanksgiving, and we've got Democrats and Republicans getting together. We have people who think global warming exists, some that don't. Some people think the other person's an idiot. You know, like there's all these dynamics going on. And you know what most people do is they say, we're just not going to talk about any of that stuff. We're just going to eat turkey. We're going to look at each other and say the weather's been nice lately, right? Or why aren't the bills doing better, right? I personally don't care about the bills because I'm from Michigan, so I don't root for the bills. I root for the Lions, which is, I would argue, even more pathetic than rooting for the bills. <laughs> you made four in a row and lost all four. We've never been. So. But this sermon is not about sports, is it? There's a dynamic that the things that matter least are the things easiest to talk about, whether that's sports, our favorite foods, our, our work, which actually matters a little bit more, uh, or just whatever random new silly thing has come out lately or random news thing that came out on the news, like, did you see so-and-so did this? Those are all safe topics, right? Because they don't come to here. They don't affect you here. They aren't sharing what matters most. They aren't putting you on the line so that if somebody rejects what you think, you feel like you're being rejected. They are safe. And yet, I think it's really important that we learn to talk about things that matter with people that matter to us. Do you understand what I mean? We have to be able to talk to people about things that matter most with the people that matter most to us. And so how do we do this? I think for me, I've had periods in my life where I've been scared to share my faith, especially with the people who I care most about, because I didn't want the relationship to be changed and I didn't want to be rejected. Faith, there's something about faith that is so personal and so like unchangeably life-altering, you know, that if you bring it into the conversation and you're rejected, you just have this sense of concern or worry. But my, uh, my thesis for this morning is that if that is your concern or worry, we need to change the way we're looking at faith and we need to change the way that we're expecting people to respond to the things that we share. For sharing our faith is not about coercion and manipulation, but it is simply about sharing, about sharing. Now, I'm going to tell you a few little stories here, and they're, they're kind of weird and silly, and so these are my jokes for the sermon, then I'll be done, right? When I was in seminary, I, I got to this period in my life where it, when you go through seminary, you have a class called evangelism, right? And as a part of evangelism, you have to evangelize a certain amount of times, and you have to check off on a box that you've evangelized that many times. It is so bizarre and weird. 
Now, when I was in seminary, I was a very good student. I got one C in seminary. I was mostly an A student. I had a few B pluses, but I got one C my whole time in seminary. And it was in evangelism because I didn't evangelize the appropriate amount of evangelism attempts, right? This is a weird thing to say. Now, I want to tell you why I didn't. And it's partly good and partly bad. My background in my history, the story of my life, I went to a really small conservative church that taught me about evangelism. And when we did evangelism, here's what we would do. We would go out and knock on people's doors and say, they'd open the door, good evening. Did you know without Jesus, you're going to hell, right? And um, they would say, I'm not really interested in that goodbye. I'm eating dinner. And they would slam the door on your face. Then I went to Bible college and uh, I joined the soccer team, right? And the small Bible college I went to first. So we'd play soccer. Most of the time we got smoked. Sometimes we'd win. And then afterwards the game, we'd go hand up tracks and we'd say, you know, <laughs> did you know without Jesus you're, not going, you're going to hell, you know? And then we'd, they'd take us to New York City and we'd go preach on the street corners and say, you know, without Jesus you're going to hell. Have you ever seen those people doing that in New York City? I was one of those for a short period of time when I was 18. And then I got done with that first year of Bible college, and then I went to the second Bible college I went to. This is all very confusing. It's my life, which I told you earlier was simple, but that's a contradiction. This, anyway, <laughs> I went to my second year of Bible college, and I was in downtown Chicago because that's where the school I went to was downtown Chicago. My first school was in the middle of nowhere in the Adirondacks. My second school was in downtown Chicago. And I've been taught to, tra- I've been trained to do evangelism. So I started going out and I started doing evangelism on the street corners, you know, telling people you're going to hell. And I was just never very popular. I never understood it. Um, and, and all of a sudden I came to this conclusion, like, I don't know if that's a really good effective way to share my faith with people. You know, you would have figured that out quicker, but it took me a little bit of time. I can even remember in my time, I was in my second year of, at Chicago. I'd been dating Sarah for about four months. These are weird stories, right? And, uh, you know, every relationship has weird things. I didn't share as much of this in the first service. But my wife was like, my wife now, when we were dating, she was ready to take a step of commitment. And I was like a typical, stereotypical guy was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And so I broke it off for a couple days. I was an idiot and I broke it off. And I was really sad. And I came back to my dorm room after breaking up with my now wife, which I don't plan on doing again. And um, I came back and I told my buddy Nate, you know, who was really into evangelism. Uh, I remember coming up to my buddy Nate and I go, Nate, I'm really having a hard time. I just broke up with my, with my, uh, my girlfriend, you know. And Nate looks at me and he goes, he stared at me weird for like five seconds. He said, let's go out and do evangelism, Bill. That'll make you feel better. So <laughs> we went out to the mall and we went up to people and did evangelism, you know. These are all weird stories. I know I'm different than all of you. I've already known this. Uh, not better, probably worse, you know. And we went out and did that. My heart wasn't in it. And I came back. And, you know, it was after that time I started thinking, this just isn't working. This is not working. I'm going up to random strangers who I don't know and who don't know me. I could be a serial killer for all they know. And I'm telling them they're going to hell, and then I'll never see them again at best-case scenarios. And I just started thinking to myself, this cannot be an effective way of sharing my faith, which matters so much to me. And so then I started to realize I need to do things differently. I was like the guy who I found this article. I've always saved this because I think it's hilarious. There was like this article written a couple years ago uh, in, I forget what newspaper it was, but the headline was, Man in Park Preaches the Good News and Saves 300 People from Enjoying a Park 
you know? <laughs> Street evangelist saves 300 souls from enjoying park, you know? And that was me. And it came to this place that I realized that evangelism wasn't effective that way. But you know what happened to me? I just stopped, sh- I stopped sharing my faith. And I just quietly tried to live out my faith, but I never talked about it anymore. That brings me full circle in this convoluted way to my second year of seminary when I got a C. Am I doing this right? C. C in evangelism. My second year of seminary. And it wasn't long after that I thought, this is crazy. I got to start sharing my faith. And I had a revelation that, I don't mean revelation in a weird way. I just feel like an opening, my mind was open and I realized I've got to share my faith with the people that matter most, the people who I'm in contact with all the time and who I'm connecting with, the people I work with, the people who are my family members, the people who are uh, my coworkers, my neighbors, the people I care about and I meet all the time and who know me and who know I'm not a serial killer because I'm not, Right? That's who my mission field is. That's who I need to be praying for. That's who I need to be investing in. And that's who I need to be inviting to take steps towards Jesus. And so this morning, that's what I want to encourage you to do, is to to think of evangelism, perhaps the same as you already do, or perhaps differently. Perhaps for some of you, you were like me. Probably very few in this room would go up to people and say, you're going to hell. Would you like to know how to go to heaven? But probably many of you are thinking, my my faith is just so personal. I'm just going to keep it to myself because I'm not sure how people would respond. My guess is many of you feel that way. And what I want to speak to you into your life this morning is a, a encouragement that it is a natural thing to share your faith if you share it in a natural, non-coercive, non-manipulative way. The Apostle Peter In his first letter, his general letter that he sent to the churches on how do they live now that Jesus has rose from the dead, is our text for this morning, and it gives us the guidance of how we're to do this. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles there. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. If you're turning in your Bibles there and you're using one of the Bibles we provide in front of you, it's going to be page 982. 982. The Apostle Peter, who wrote this, is really trying to answer this question for us. How can I share the beauty of Jesus with others? How can I share my faith in Jesus with other people? And I find it incredibly insightful and interesting and also a little uplifting that the man who wrote this particular text, this particular letter, is the same man that the night of the arrest of Jesus, the night before his trial is the same man who denied Jesus three times. Obviously, he had a hard time sharing his faith, right? He denied Jesus three times, and yet he got it wrong, but he came to an awareness of how he could do it in a right way, share his faith. And here's what the Apostle Peter tells us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Now, I want to stop there for just a second. You will only be as effective in your sharing of your faith or in evangelism as you love Jesus for yourself. Does this make sense? If you are not growing in your relationship with Jesus, if you are not coming into contact with the beauty of Jesus and a greater awareness for yourself, you're not going to be very effective in sharing your faith, right? 
Think about it on a really, really practical level. Have you ever invited somebody to a restaurant and you said, I don't really like it. They serve garbage hamburgers, but that's a good one. You should, go, you should try it out, right? You don't do that. You say, I love their hamburgers. You should check out this restaurant. Their pizza is the best. You should check out their pizza, right? So in the same way, your efforts to share your faith are not going to be, you know, Jesus hasn't really made a big difference in my life, but I heard he rose from the dead, and so you should probably consider him. Does this make sense? That will not be effective. So Peter says, but first, revere in your hearts, Christ is Lord. And then, once you are enamored with the beauty of Jesus, always be ready prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but to do this with gentleness and respect. Those are critical. And keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander, of how they mistreat you, right? Always be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that lies within you, right? for the hope that lies within you. Peter does not say, always be ready to give an answer for how God created the world. Always be ready to give an answer to the Canaanite genocide, right? Which is a really tricky subject. If you don't know what that means, you can Google it later. Always be ready to give an answer for Noah in the ark. He doesn't say any of that. He says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Does this make sense? Now, maybe those things I just mentioned are part of the hope that you have. Then be ready to talk about it. But you are not required to be able to answer everybody's questions about the Bible, right? I'm not ready to do so. There are questions that people ask, that I ask my seminary professors in seminary, and you know what their answer? Well, such and such person says this, such and such person says that, such and such person says this. Those are hard questions, There are questions in the Bible that I can tell you what different people think and none of the answers right now seem satisfying to me emotionally, right? And I say that to you not to discredit you like, well, why is the preacher talking to us if he doesn't know anything about the Bible? I know about the Bible. It's a complicated book full of difficulty. But do you know that my faith does not hinge on every Uh, My faith does not hinge on being able to answer every aspect of what's found in this book. I'm not saying every aspect of what's in this book isn't true. Of course it is. But I can't explain it all to you in the same way you can't explain it all to me in a way that will satisfy us all emotionally. I do believe God can do so, right? I believe if God were to grant us an audience and say, okay, uh, Johnny Joe, right? I will now take your questions. What is your question? And you were to ask God, he would to your satisfaction be able to answer your questions. But on this side of that experience, in our humanness, we're just trying to figure out what it says. But did you know that our faith does not hinge on being able to answer every question on the Bible? Do you know what our faith hinges on? Our faith hinges on who Jesus is. And did he rise from the dead? And if he rose from the dead, then everything is different, right? And that's what Peter says. He doesn't say the resurrection, although he says it in other places. He says here, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, but to do so with gentleness and respect. So 
How do we share our faith with others? Or how do we let others see the beauty of Jesus? We do so by being prepared to share your story of hope and do so with gentleness and respect, right? Gentleness and respect. This morning, what I want to do in the time remaining, and I'm going to do it quick, what I want to do with you is share with you three questions that should be involved with your story of hope. What I'm really trying to do this morning is help you create your personal story of hope, right? Why is it that you believe? And I'm going to ask you three questions, and I'm going to give you some guidance in creating your own story of hope. And when Peter says that you should be prepared always to give a reason for the hope that you have, these three questions need to be something that you can answer and share with others, and they are. First, What is the story of the gospel? In other words, this is the question, what is the good news about Jesus? What is the good news about Jesus? For the gospel is the story of good news that pertains to him. And the gospel story unfolds in three different acts, kind of like a play, right? Or I'm sorry, four different acts. And I'm going to go through this quick. The first act that the Bible tells us of how our world functions is that God created this world. He created it all perfect, right? And in fact, did you know that the Bible says that God created humanity, man and woman, in his image to be his image bearer to, and to be responsible for caring for this world? We, like, unlike any other thing that God created, are in God's image. We have thoughts and volition We uh, are able to choose and do things, right? We are unique. And we are meant to be indwelled by God and to bear his, reflect his glory in this world. That's what it means to be in the image of God. And yet, after mankind was created, man and women, how did mankind use their freedom? They used their freedom in the second act, to fall and to choose and rebel against God, right? This is the story of the good news of of the gospel. (laughs) You're thinking to yourself, this doesn't sound like good news. Let me get to it. If we are broken, it is not good news to ignore our brokenness, right? If we are broken, it is not good news to ignore our brokenness. And so God created a perfect world and he created it perfect and free. And mankind used their freedom to rebel against God. And the Bible says, as a result, we are now experiencing the consequences of that brokenness, of that relationship that we broke with God. In fact, it is a result of sin that every bad thing in this world that happens in this world happens. Whether those are things that are natural, like hurricanes and earthquakes, whether those things are natural, like things that happen that we wish didn't, cancer and illness, And it is like things like rape and murder and steal that we purposely do out of acts of hate and violence, right? Every bad thing is a result of sin. And sin is nothing more than when we say that we know better than God and we're going to do it our way. Fall. And did you know that ever since the fall, that God has had a mission, a rescue mission, to correct what is wrong with us, our world. And this is in the third act, and it's this act of redemption. God has been moving to fix what is wrong with this world, and his ultimate fix, his ultimate solution was to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our, on the cross for our sins. That God would send his son, and he would take on humanity, 
And Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, lived on this earth, never sinning, and died the death that we deserved, rose from the dead, and conquered sin and death for us forever so that we might be given, instead of the sinfulness of ourselves, we might be given the righteousness of God through Jesus. And now we wait the final act of Christianity, of the story of the gospel, and that is restoration, when Jesus will one day return and he will renew and restore this earth so that this world functions by God's will, as the Lord's Prayer teaches us, where God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first question that we need to be able to answer is, what is the good news about Jesus? The good news is God created us perfect, we fell, and God has sent his son to fix us to fix us. And everything that's necessary for that to happen has already happened, and now we just wait for Christ to return. And in this intermediary time between the cross of Jesus and his resurrection and when he returns, it is the opportunity for everyone in this room to realign and to choose Jesus instead of self and evil. And this is where we live as we await, by faith, the coming of Jesus Christ again. That is the good news of the gospel, the story of the gospel. Second, any sharing of the hope that you have needs to be able to answer this second question. Why have I placed my faith in Jesus? Why have I placed my faith in Jesus? And the simple answer to this is it is a testimonial answer. It is not a theological treatise, right? But every answer to this question for those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus will include this element. I believe that Jesus is the crucified, resurrected, coming again Son of God, right? I can remember when my mom tells me I became a Christian. And I grew up in a Christian home. Um, and my mom, when I was around four years old, around Christmas time, sat me down and said, Bill, did you know that you're, I don't remember this, I was four. Who can remember when they're four? She tells me that, I, she told me, Bill, did you know that you're a sinner? And I said, do you think I'm a sinner, mom? You know, and she said, yes, you are. And I said, okay, I'm a sinner, you know, because every four-year-old believes whatever their mom tells them, unless you're a really rare child. You're like an Artemis fowl at that point, right? Criminal mastermind, you know? Anyway, so that was a really weird young adult fiction joke. All right, no more jokes. And so I said to my mom, of course I'm a sinner if you say so. And she said, well, did you know you could be saved from your sin? And I said, I didn't. And she said, well, here's how. And she said, repeat this prayer after me. And like every good four-year-old, I just say whatever my mom tells me to say, you know? But did you know that there came a point in my life as I grew older and as I invested in the, as I went to church weekly and I was around people who believed in Jesus and as I heard the message, and I don't even know when exactly it happened, when I came to the conclusion, you know what? I really believe that Jesus is God's son and that he really died and he really rose from the dead. And I really believe he will come again. I don't know when that happened. My hunch is probably not at four years old. I don't think I was, I don't think I was with it enough then. But maybe I was like a, a genius. But nothing in my life would lead me to that conclusion now. So <laughs> you understand. I don't know when it happened, but every testimony of the hope of the good news of Jesus that you have personally will say, hey, I believe Jesus is God's son, that he died, and that he rose from the dead, and he's coming again. Right? And effective evangelism is not coercion or manipulation of other people. Effective evangelism is just simply sharing those truths. 
Effective evangelism, did you know, effective evangelism is, is not impersonal, it's personal, right? It's not like a car salesman pitch, right? Have you ever gone to the car lot and you say, no, I'm just looking, and they're like, well, now I'm not looking at you anymore because there's no hope of a sale, right? Evangelism is not impersonal, it's personal. It's not an all or nothing endeavor, in sales, you're taught, I used to work in sales a little bit, just a little bit to get through seminary. And the idea there was you make a pitch, and then if they're not interested, you move on to the next person and you make the pitch, right? You're just trying to get that word, the word out as quick as you can. See if they respond. If they don't respond, you move to the next person. If they're interested, then you complete the sale, right? You're taught that, and then you sit in little cubicles and call centers, right? Isn't this the world, the way it works? <laughs> Effective evangelism isn't like this. It's not a transactional thing. Did you know that you might be going to hell? I don't want to talk to you. All right, I'll move to the next person. Maybe he's fertile ground, you know? <laughs> Effective evangelism is I care about you and you're my friend. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna play together. We're going to hang out whether you come to Christ or not, but I care about you, and so I'm going to share who I am, and you get to share who you are. That's what respect is called. And it takes time. I've shared my faith with people who came to Christ rather quickly. I've shared my faith with people who took a long time before they came to Christ. And I've shared my faith with people who haven't yet come to Christ. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. And they're still my friends either way, right? It takes time because it's not a sales pitch. Second, it's not proselytizing. It is announcing, right? Our goal is not to make conversions. That's not the win. You hear me say this all the time at church, right? The win is love itself. Love in itself is a win. Because evangelism is not, I converted this many people, because newsflash, nobody converts anybody. The Spirit of God does a work in people's hearts and lives to see the beauty of Jesus, and we just simply announce it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, we are Christ's ambassadors. That means we just announce the good news. We just announce the good news. It's not proselytizing, it's announcing. Did you know proselytizing is condescending and kind of cruel? The proselytizer says, in proselytizing, it's just a big word that means converting other people, right? The proselytizer's good news is that you can swap out your inferior beliefs in community for my superior beliefs in community, right? That's the good news. You're not as good as me, and if you listen and do what I say, you can be better like me. Have you ever seen that be an effective tool to doing anything good with anybody ever? It's not proselytizing. It is announcing. And third, effective evangelism is not intolerant. It is tolerant. Now, these are loaded terms, and so I want to make sure you understand what I mean. Tolerance is not the belief that all opinions are valid and equal. All opinions aren't valid and equal, right? Tolerance is granting people the right to hold different beliefs than your own. That's what tolerance is. And third, the third question that we need to be able to answer, you know, we need to be able to answer first, uh, what is the story of the gospel? We need to be able to answer why I believe it. And third, we need to say, be able to say, how has the gospel changed me? How have I been changed or transformed? Now, I can look at the way God has changed my life, and I could tell you my own story. I feel like my story would go something like this. When I finally realized that I could not earn my salvation by being better than other people, because I was always a pretty good kid. You know, I opened the door for old people, and I, uh, I, 
I went to church regularly, but you know, none of that makes me a Christian. When I feel like I really came to Christ was when I understood that I am a sinner like anybody else and that I'm saved not on the basis of what I do, but on what the basis of what Christ has done for me. And then I started to change and I treated everybody different. Now I was no longer judgmental thinking you're not quite as good as me and I think God loves me more, but I would think to myself, I just hope that person can see that no matter what, Christ loves them. Do you see the difference in that? No matter what, I just hope Christ will see them. I just hope that they will see how much Christ loves them because I know what it's been like in my life to have Christ love me, right? How have I been changed? And the gospel should change you. It should change the way you believe. It should change your identity. It should change what you think your purpose in life is. It should change you. I want to conclude this sermon by telling you, if you're in our church uh, and if you're looking to share your faith, I want to I end this sermon by giving you three uh, cues that might mean that there's an open door for you to share your faith. And they are these. You know, you might be sitting here thinking, I don't know how to get started. Start by answering those three questions. You know, what is the gospel? How, why do you believe it? And how has it changed you? You should know how to answer those questions for yourself on a personal level. And then you need to start praying that God might open doors for you to share your faith. And I'm going to give you three cues that if God opens these doors, I'm going to pray for you and ask that you would walk through those doors and share your faith and share your story in a way that is gentle and respectful. And here they are. I've noticed in my own life, when I come across people first, they're just called the three knots, and they're really easy to remember. First, I've noticed that people are especially receptive to hearing the good news about Jesus when things are not going well. So I'm always in tune to that. If something is not going well, and I can say to somebody, I've noticed that when things aren't going well for me, that my faith has been a backbone for me and has helped me during times. I don't want you to misunderstand this cue because when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean everything goes well for you all the time, right? Sometimes things don't go well, and I still find that my faith is a, a solid foundation during those times. But it can be for others, too, to be invited in. The second cue I look for from people is when they're not prepared. And especially people are not prepared when they're going through transitions, right? And transitions and change are hard. <laughs> starting high school, starting retirement, starting a new job, finishing college. Like we go through all these transitions, having your first child. Who's prepared for that? No one's ever prepared to have a child. They're living and breathing, you know? Um, we're not prepared. And I have found that when I'm not prepared, that my faith has always been something I could lean on. And so I share that with people. And third, if I ever have somebody that I know that's new to the area, you know, I'm not from here, I always say, well, if you're not, if you're not involved with the faith community already and you'd like one, we'd love to invite you to our church, the three knots. Notice that these three knots assume that you are going to be making relationships with people outside of the church, that you are going to be involved in your public school system or in a homeschooling system that has people that, doesn't, that don't go to church or in sports in the community or the local sewing group, whatever that is. Or you just go to the library a lot, right? Or your barber or wherever. You know, like we all have relationships with people outside of church. What I want to intentionally ask you to do is to pray for those people who don't know Jesus. Invest in their life. 
and invite them to take steps towards Jesus by looking for those cues and being prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. And if you haven't taken the time to reflect consciously, you need to be able to answer those questions. Why is it? You know, what is the gospel? Why is Jesus good news? Second, why do you believe it? And third, how have you been changed as a result of it? This morning, as we transition to the communion table, it is another